listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Feel good? Everybody smile? All right. Well, glad you're here. Um, missed being with you guys last week, and I uh, hope you missed me. Um, but anyway, uh, got a chance to go over to the Vidalia campus, and it was really awesome. Um, if you ever get a chance, you're over that way on a Sunday. Um, go check it out. It's really cool to see um, what God's doing there. Uh, we were able to attend. What was really funny about the whole thing is that uh, when we walked in, nobody knew who we were. And so it was really funny. This one lady kept trying to give me a visitor's bag. And so I kept saying, no, no, it's really okay. And she said, but have you been here before? And I said, well, not here. But, and she's like, well, here, take a bag, take a bag. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't need a bag. Give it to somebody else that needs a bag. And so um, without trying to be rude, I was trying to not take the bag. But, um, but it was such a welcoming place. Um, they, they are just uh, very hospitable. And um, it was just an incredible thing to see how God's working over there. Billy Shiver, who was a discipleship pastor here, is now the lead pastor there on that campus, is doing a great job. And he's got just a bunch of volunteers who are excited um, and who are helping out over there. And they're actually, as you heard, doing baptisms today um, at the end of their service. And uh, just excited about that, excited to see what all God's doing. And, and I just believe, I really do believe that it's just the beginning of what God wants to do. There's more campuses to plant. There's more people to reach. Um, there's more lives to be touched and lives to be changed. And so we're going to continue doing that and continue pushing forward with that. A big part of that is prayer. Um, and the next series we're going into that we're actually starting today is about prayer. It's about us praying together. In fact, the name of the series is called Together. And the reason that it's called Together is because we want us as a church to be praying in the same direction. Um, to be praying together, yes, but even when we're apart, that we're bound together by something greater than us, the Holy Spirit, and that He working in us has us praying in the same direction. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 17. We're going to continue in the Gospel of John this week. Um, John 17, we'll spend the next three weeks in this chapter. And today we're going to be looking at just the first five verses. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look at it on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. And we'd be glad to do that at our next steps table. So we'd love for you to have a copy of God's word. And so today, as we look at this, um, we're going to be looking at something that's really fascinating because we get a glimpse of Jesus and how Jesus prays, right? We have the Lord's prayer, um, our father, which art in heaven, that prayer, uh, we have that, but this is an extended prayer that Jesus prays. What's really cool about this is you're going to see in these verses today that the first five verses are often titled, um, Jesus prays for himself. But the cool thing about Jesus's prayer that when he even prays for himself, he's praying for the Father to be glorified and for us to be saved and for us to come into eternal life. And so um, it shows how selfless Jesus really is um, and how he really laid down his life for us. And so we're gonna be looking at those things today. Um, if you will, let's read verses one through five. We'll go back through these, but just to get an overall view of it, let's read verses one through five and then we'll uh, jump into the message. It says in John 17, 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's pray. God, thank you for another day that we get to worship you and we get to praise you. We get to know you, God. Father, I pray that today as we have worshiped with music, God, that today we would come and worship with open hearts as we hear your word. God, let it sink deep into our hearts. Let it be the greatest treasure in our life. God, let it uh, do exactly what you say it will do. Let it penetrate deep into our hearts as the living and active word, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we just thank you and love you and praise you for being good to us. We thank you for your grace and, and the power of that grace that has brought us from uh, sin to life and from death to life, God. We love you, Lord. Let this time be a powerful time of your word. God, let me just speak the things that you have in your heart. And God, let us do it all with an attitude of worship. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a lot of you know that uh, if you've been here, I talk about my children a lot in messages. And the reason I do that is because that is a huge part of my life. And so a lot of times what I'm doing up here is just simply sharing my life with you. Um, and one of the areas that that is true, uh, that, that I see and I learn from my children and that is a big part of our life right now is in the area of teaching them about Christ, teaching them about Jesus, um, but also uh, teaching them about prayer, um, specifically with my four-year-old. If you've ever tried to teach a four-year-old how to pray, it is a trip, right? Um, and so what he does, he has become our automatic blessing sayer. Um, nobody else can say the blessing in our home except for Reed, my four-year-old. And so if anybody else tries to say the blessing, we have an absolute meltdown explosion at the, at the dinner table. And so he has to be the one who says the blessing every time. Um, if I say, well, Reed, how about let me say the blessing? No, 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 I'm saying the blessing. And so he says the blessing of not God is great, God is good, but the one that you sing. Who knows it? Who knows it? How many of you have heard it? Can you sing it? God, our father. Yep. Yep. That one. And so you hear that in your sleep after you've heard it a few hundred times. Right. And so Reed prays that prayer um, every time, but sometimes he gets in a little bit of a hurry because he's hungry. And so he'll be like, God, our father, God, our father, we thank you, we thank you for blah, blah, blah. And, he, and then he kind of gets, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa Reed, 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 slow down, slow down. You're missing the point. You're missing the purpose of this. It's not just to get through the prayer. It's to talk to God. It's, it's communicating with God. And then he's like, I'm hungry. You know, I mean, he doesn't necessarily grab hold of that um, whole logic and that whole teaching. But we're trying to teach him that prayer is more than just saying the words. Um, and, and I hope that for us, we can grab hold of that as well. That prayer is more than just, um, just, just talking to God or just throwing some words out there. Prayer is communication with God. Um, so much of prayer is not just talking, but it's also listening. That's why I would tell you that prayer is not talking to God, it's communicating, because in communication, there's the, it goes both ways. Um, that, that there's talking, yes, but there's also listening, and there's also just being in the presence of God. It's kind of like going out to dinner with your wife or your fiance or your girlfriend or whoever uh, that you, you, you are just you know, in love with, and you sit there at the table, and many times you don't say a lot of words, but you have rich fellowship right? And it's just being in each other's presence. It's just being together. And that's in the essence of prayer. It's being with God. It's how God begins to shape and mold our hearts as we're with him. And so I want us to see as we talk about prayer, as we talk about this the next few weeks, that it's more than us just talking to God. It's us being able to communicate with God, that God speaks to our heart. And when I say speaks, I've never heard the audible voice of God. I would have jumped under my desk and shook with fear, I'm sure. But the thing I have experienced is God pressing things into my heart where I can know where he's leading me, where I know what he's, he's saying through his word. Um, and so I want you to grab that and grab hold of that, that it is communication with a living God, not with just um, some, not just some religious act that we do to make ourselves okay with God. All right. Um, I think that for most of us, uh, there, there, there's a tendency for us to pray a lot about ourselves. And as we're going to see, Jesus prayed for himself, but Jesus' prayers even for himself were directed um, towards the glory of God and towards uh, the, that we would be saved and that we would experience eternal life. So as we look at this, I want us to look at these verses and, and really begin to dive in and see what they say. The very first verse, it says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. What's interesting is in this text, when Jesus is praying, the first thing he says is glorify the son. But the thing he's praying for is, yes, glorify the son because he deserves to be glorified and his glory is actually going to be the cross, which doesn't seem like glory to us. We'll get to that in a second. But what he wants to happen through that is that the father would be glorified. If you take this first verse, the thing that you see in this is the whole purpose of this entire prayer that he's about to pray, that God would be glorified. Everything that follows verse one is basically commentary on that statement that God would be glorified. And so when we pray, we need to take note of that and realize and remember that our prayers are are to be aimed towards God's glorification, that our whole life exists so that God would be glorified, um, not for selfish gain, not for any other purpose other than that our life brings glory to the Father. And so one of the things that we see very early on is that what encapsulates this whole prayer that we're gonna be looking at for the next three weeks is that God, uh, that Jesus prays that God would be glorified. 
All right. Um, when he prays this, the next four verses really show how this was to happen. And what I want you to see today as we go through the next four verses is I want you to see um, that these are things that Jesus prayed and these are things that we should pray. And these are also things that when they're worked out in our lives, we begin to display Christ to the world. Um, when we pray these things and they begin to shape our hearts and mold our lives, um, these things become things that bring God glory when these are fulfilled in our lives. And so I want us to look at these and I want us to see what it is that Jesus is, is praying and I want us to translate that into what does that mean that we pray for? The very first verse, as I said, it says, glorify your son. But the thing that Jesus is looking at and the thing we know he's talking about is the cross. He says, the time has come, now glorify your son. See, all through the gospel of John, Jesus had said, it's not time. Um, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And then we get to this place and he says, the time has come for me to do what I came to do. And he knew that his life existed simply for the cross, that he would die for our sins, that he would be raised to life and that he then would be able to grant eternal life to us. And so we see that this is what he's praying for. The very first thing I would tell you is that Jesus recognizes that it's time for him to go to the cross. Now, the way that translates into our prayer and what I believe that translates to us into being is that it translates into us praying that every day of our lives, we would take up our cross and follow him. See, for us, if we're Christians, the time for the cross has come. In fact, at the time that we became uh, believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, it was no longer about us. It became about, it became about him and it became about reaching the world for Christ. And so one of our prayers needs to be that I'm praying, Lord, Lord, take this life of mine and use it for your glory. I wanna be crucified with you. I wanna be crucified with Christ. I don't want to live any longer, but I want you to live in me, God, that you would bring glory to yourself. And see, if we're not careful, we can think about that as something we go, man, that kind of stinks, right? That, that's not, you know, it, that doesn't seem like that would be the best way. But the reality of it is that people would look at Jesus's life and think that he had been cursed because he was hanging on a cross. People would look at Jesus on the cross and they would be shameful, almost embarrassed that he was on the cross. And yet what Jesus went, when Jesus went to the cross and there was shame and, the, and, and, and people thought he was cursed, then what God did then is turned it around for his glory. And see, it was on the other side of the cross that Jesus had greater glory than he even had before he came to earth because he had redeemed mankind. He had bought mankind out of the clutches of Satan and he had given us life through himself. And so his glory after the cross was greater than his glory before the cross. See, many times for us, we try to dodge the very things that God's trying to use to take us deeper into a relationship with him. We try to dodge us ourselves going to the cross. We try to dodge ourselves crucifying our flesh so that we can live for God when God is trying to take us deeper. See, the thing that many times we miss is that oftentimes we think that the thing that is gonna take us out um, couldn't possibly be from God, but the thing that he's trying to show us is that it's not intended to take us out, it's intended to take us further into his kingdom. And so oftentimes we try to dodge the very things that God's using. It's not necessarily pleasurable, but sometimes things that aren't pleasurable are beneficial. For example, this week I decided I'd start a, a new diet workout plan. Um, pants getting kind of tight. I was like, you know, it's cheaper to lose weight. So I just decided I'd start something new. Um, went and began working out, trying to eat good. Um, I was so sore all week long, it was unbelievable. And then uh, on about Wednesday, I get a text from a friend of mine who says, hey, I got a good idea. Let's enter into a softball tournament this weekend. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna get all the dads who, who um, have all the parents, the dads who have children on this one uh, travel baseball team, we're gonna get all the dads from that and we're gonna play and so we can let the kids come out and watch us play rather than us watching them play for a change. And the, that translated to me is, I'm gonna humiliate myself in front of my child. And that's basically what that meant. 
And, and so we go Friday night and we ended up playing, I think, three softball games, not to mention we were the worst team there. Um, and so we go play three softball games. Not only was my pride injured, but then I woke up on Saturday morning and felt like death. I felt like I'd been hit by a truck, right? Um, from all the working out during the week and then from that softball tournament. And, and uh, even though it was only three games, right? Um, I'll be 40 in October. I'm like, I gotta do something about this, right? And uh, so, um, but, but realizing that not everything that is beneficial is pleasurable. Listen, working out, dieting, doing those things, they're not necessarily pleasurable, but they're beneficial. When God takes us through things that aren't necessarily pleasurable, it doesn't mean that they're not beneficial. See, what we need to realize is that many times the thing that God is using to grow us is the thing that we try to dodge. And we just need to hold on to Jesus. And listen, start asking the question, and this is what happens so many times, we ask the question, why? And it's okay to ask that question, but at some point the question has to turn to, okay, God, what? What are you teaching me in this time? What is it that you want me to learn in this season? And, and, and I can tell you, I had that moment too this week where I was trying to cut our grass and our grass had gotten pretty high. I went and got the lawnmower and I was gonna cut it. Um, and the front two tires were flat. It's like, great. And so I went, got those fixed, came back the next day, put them on, got ready to cut the grass. I'm cutting, look down, front right tires flat again. I'm like, great. And so I go, I park it. I went to my dad's, loaded up a tractor that he has with a, a mower on the back. I come back to the house, I'm cutting, everything's going great. I'm like, yes, I'm finally gonna accomplish this. And I hear, I look back, belt broke, it's just spinning. I'm like, Good gracious, not meant to cut this grass. This grass is from Satan, right? This is satanic grass. And so um, I'm like, what in the world's going on? So then I parked that one. So I've got all this broken equipment sitting around my house. And then I go and borrow another tractor with a bush hog on the back. And I'm like, my grass is pretty tall. I guess I can just bush hog it, right? And so I go and get the tractor and I bring it back. And if you know about tractors, you'll understand this. If not, just trust me, it, it's important. Um, as I'm mowing, I hear, I hear something start shaking in the back and the shear pin on the tractor had, on the mower had broken. And so the Anyway, it didn't work, okay? And so now I've got these three pieces of machinery that don't work and my grass is still not cut. And literally, this may seem simple, it may seem silly to you, but I, patience is not my greatest attribute. And so I'm riding back to the, um, to the little shelter on that tractor and I'm like, God, what is going on, right? And then finally it hit me, I'm like, maybe God's trying to teach me something. You know, maybe God's trying to teach me something. And in a small way, that's an example of how we need to look at life. When things are difficult and things are going in, in, in a difficult way, we don't quit fighting, but, but we also, we've got to get to a point where we ask the question, God, what are you teaching me now? What is it you're showing me now? In this season, God, what is it that you're trying to do in me so that you can bring glory through me? And so we see Jesus praying this and saying, God, this is the thing I want in my life. I want to be used by you. I'm gonna lay down my life, Father, for you. I'll be glorified, but it also bring you glory. And, and Jesus knew that on the other side of the cross, there was greater glory than there would have been before he went to the cross. And many times we don't realize this either, that the very things that we hold on to um, are the things that keep us from the greatest gain in Christ. When you, when you look at this, um, oftentimes what we do is we, we refuse to let go of the things that we have so that God can do greater things in our lives. We hold on to the material things in our lives, just gripping them white knuckled as if they're going to somehow save us. Um, and, and God is saying, if you'll let that go, I've got better things for you. If you'll trust me with all of your heart, I've got better things for you. I've got better, a better way for you. If you'll trust me with all of your heart and we hold on to a false sense of security um, in, in ourselves and, and in, in this false facade of an identity that we create. And so rather than coming to a place where we finally let go of what other people think about us and we finally let go of trying to be somebody we're not, um, instead of doing that, what we end up doing is we just hold on to this image when God has something so much better. We try to hold on to shallow, in, shallow significance when, when God's got some a significance, a purpose for our lives that's much greater. And many times that very thing that we refuse to hold on to is what's 
keeping us from doing things greater for the kingdom of God. We've got to trust God enough to let go and to begin to let him have those things so that we're able to walk um, in the way that he calls us to walk. So the first thing that Jesus says and the first thing that we see him praying is that he recognizes that it's time for the cross. You and I also, if we're in Christ, have come to the cross and we need to crucify our flesh with the cross voluntarily, willingly, the way Jesus did. The second verse says this, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The second thing we see in praying is that people would come to know the Father and that people would come to know the Son. That should be our prayer as well, that more and more people begin to come to know him, that more and more people specifically come to know what it is to enter into eternal life with Jesus. That people, yes, they, they know about him, but more than that, they know him and they enter into eternal life. But if you think about it, what is eternal life? We always hear people talk about eternal life, eternal life, eternal life, but what is eternal life? The first thing I'll tell you is that it's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's something that God gives us. See, nobody has ever made themselves good enough so that God said, I gotta have them. We've never made ourselves that good. God wanted us because he loves us and he loves us just because he loves us. There's nothing that we can make happen. There's nothing that we can do. He just loves us because he loves us. He wants us because he wants us and he offers us salvation because that's what he does. And so we need to see it as a gift. All we do is receive the gift so that we can't even take credit for salvation in the smallest part. It's all a work of God on our part. And so it's a gift that he gives us. It's something that we cannot possibly earn. I remember when we moved to Statesboro in 1985, it seems like that was just yesterday and it's been, what, 30 years ago now. Pretty crazy, but I was 10 years old. Now, some of you heard me talk about this briefly in other messages, but when we moved to Statesboro, I was not what you would call the cool kid, okay? I, I was, uh, had a, a rat tail that was about six inches long. Um, <clears throat> where I came from up there um, in Northwest Georgia, they thought it was cool. I don't know. Moved down here, um, got made fun of about that. There is a small chance that I could have possibly worn parachute pants at some point in my life. Um, and so this is full disclosure, right? This is full transparency. If you admit to a rat tail and parachute pants, you'll admit to anything, right? I can tell you anything now. And, and so the reality of it is though, I was not the cool kid. But, and I think I've mentioned this before, if I have, just act like you haven't heard it. But I remember standing on the PE field um, one day, I was in about the fifth grade and I'm standing there and this cute little blonde girl who was popular and who was cool came walking across the, the playground area. And I looked at her and I said, I want one of those. And so I decided at that moment, that I needed to be a cool kid, that I needed to be in that crowd. Whatever that crowd was, I wanted to be in it. And so what I started doing, I did everything I could to try to earn my way into that crowd. Um, I, I, I tried to get the right clothes. I tried to say the right things. I would even do the right things, just trying to fit into that crowd, thinking somehow that was gonna make me happy, that that was gonna satisfy me, that I'd finally get that girlfriend. And here's the crazy thing about it, is that by the time I was in middle school, going into high school, I had somehow worked my way into the crowd that I would been trying for like three years to get into. And I spent my high school career playing the right sports, doing the right things, just to be a part of this crowd. And the thing is, I worked my way into that. I made changes. I'm, I'm kind of morphed myself into this other person. Got rid of the rat tail, parachute pants, everything, and became you know, the person that I felt like I needed to be in order to fit into that crowd. And here's the reality of it, guys. We can, we can morph ourselves to fit into other crowds of people. We can morph ourselves even to fit into the Christian crowd where we can get the right clothes and we can talk the right lingo and we can carry the right Bible and we can do all all the right things and we can work ourselves into a Christian crowd. The thing we cannot do is we cannot work ourselves into the kingdom of God. You just can't. It's a free gift of God. It is a gift that he gives that, that, that we can't possibly earn. And it comes by simply saying yes to Jesus and putting our faith in him and trusting in him. The second thing that eternal life is, eternal life is also a relationship. It's a relationship. 
See, when we hear eternal life, what we first think about is quantity of life. We think about it going on forever. We think that it's everlasting. And that's true. But I would tell you that eternal life is more about the quality of life than it is about the quantity of it. See, to say that um, eternal life is to spend the rest of our lives um, living forever with very little mention of God, that's not necessarily what the Bible teaches on eternal life. See, eternal life without the presence of God, without the presence of Jesus is the definition of hell, not heaven. And so what we need to see and understand is that the greatest aspect of eternal life is that we get to know God. We get to be in his presence, eternal life in the presence of God. And that's what we need to understand eternal life as. It's not just the quantity of life, but it's also the quality of life. And I, I, I fear this, I fear that many people, and I know that many people spend their life settling for an imitation version of Jesus, settling for a copy of Jesus, an imitation, something that has a form of godliness but denies the power of God, something that's really not life-changing, something that's just about going through the motions, something that doesn't really impact our heart, impact our life, something that doesn't impact the lives of other people around us. Um, to help you understand this, I brought this with me today. It's gonna make you hungry. If you notice, a lot of my illustrations have to do with food because I like it. Um, and this is, this is my, my, my little thing today. What is that? Can you might see that? That is a scrumptious, delicious Oreo blizzard, right? How many of you are gonna want a blizzard now after church? Yep, 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 yep. They weren't open this morning or I would've got the real thing. But you know, it's even thick, look. <laughs> Doesn't go anywhere. And so uh, I, I brought this though to say this, that this in and of itself looks good but it has no way of satisfying me, right? And many times what we do as Christians, as we settle for a cardboard Jesus, that's just a thought or a mental ascent to the knowledge of God, but it's not a real relationship with him. And see, there's a big difference in that. Just as this blizzard can't satisfy me, neither can just going through religious motions, worshiping, uh, uh, some image that's not real to us. See, Jesus is a real person. He is really living. In fact, he's still sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's still making intercession on our behalf right now as we speak. And so what I want you to see is that not this, this just as it cannot satisfy, neither can some cardboard um, Jesus that's not real to us. But many times we settle for that. We don't, we don't, strive for and press into the relationship that God gives us. What we do is we settle for something that looks good, but has no power, has no function. It is something that can't satisfy. We look at it and it's something that's shallow. It's something that, that doesn't really penetrate us deeply because it's not a relationship with God. It's not a relationship with Christ. It's just going through the motions of some religious activity. It's something that once we see, listen, listen, listen. If you taste this, you're not gonna want more of it, right? But here's the thing I can tell you. If you taste Jesus and you taste the Holy Spirit in you, there's something in you that says, I want more of that. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, crave pure spiritual milk is what it says in 1 Peter. That we should crave pure spiritual milk, that we should crave what we've tasted because we've tasted that the Lord is good. I remember when I first got saved and I was standing in this campground we were up underneath this, this street light. It was dark everywhere, um, but we were under this little street light that was out there. And, and we were talking and, and people were literally like saying, I was like, man, I'm different. I'm never gonna be the same again. They're like, oh, I don't, don't, you know, don't take it so serious, you know? People were taking bets on how long like I would go without getting drunk. People, you know, it was, it was crazy. But I told them, I'm like, I'm, I'm different, I'm different. And they're like, how do you know that you're different? I said, because I've tasted something that I don't ever wanna lose. And over the next few months, it became very clear to me that I had tasted something that, that was easily um, able to be let go of, but there was something that I knew I never wanted to let go of. 
It's easy as we go through life to kind of turn our back on Christ in some ways and begin to get distance, even when we've tasted that he's good. But there's something in us called the Holy Spirit who always draws us back to him. And when you've tasted the grace of Jesus and you've tasted the power of the Holy Spirit and you've tasted what that's like, there's something in us that says, I don't ever want to be without that again. And it causes us to press forward and press into God going after him in ways that maybe we never have before. But my question would be this, are you settling for this? Or do you have the real thing? Are you settling for an imitation cardboard Jesus? Or do you have the real thing in your life, a real relationship with a living God? Because that is what he wants. That's what he wants for you. That's what brings him glory. It's not just some mental ascent to the knowledge of God that brings him glory. It's when a life is lived knowing God, intimately knowing him, experiencing him, that our lives are changed, that our lives are transformed, that we begin to become more like him and in that we bring him glory. The next one, verse four. So we need to be praying, listen, we need to be praying uh, that we would lay down our lives, that we would take up our cross and follow him. We need to be praying that uh, people would come to eternal life, that being the knowledge of God, that being a free gift of God. We need to be praying this number three out of verse four. It says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So the next thing that Jesus is praying or saying is that Jesus acknowledges the completion of the work he was given to do. See, we've been given work to do as well and our prayer should then translate into, God, I want to complete the work that you gave me. See, the reality of it is that when I stand before God and you stand before God, he's not gonna ask us about how much money we save. He's not gonna ask, thank God. Um, he's not gonna ask us, about what, how big our house was, how many square feet our house had. He's not gonna ask us um, what kind of car or truck we drove. He's not gonna ask us, he's not gonna ask me how big was the church, how many people did you get it to, how, 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 how many people were there, how many people got saved, how many people got baptized. You know what he's gonna ask me and he's gonna ask you? The question he's gonna ask is, did you do what I gave you to do? Because we can be busy about a lot of things and never do what God gave us to do in the first place. Are we busy about his work? Or are we busy about our own? Are we working for the kingdom? Or are we just working to get the next paycheck? Because what God wants us to be doing is working for his kingdom. And our prayer needs to be, Lord, let me complete the work that you've given me to do. Here's the reality. I don't wanna stand before God and have to give an account for something I left undone. I wanna complete everything that he's given me. I wanna be faithful to the very end. And that's what this requires. See, we need a toolbox if we're gonna do this. If we're gonna answer, yes, God, I did everything you gave me. Absolutely. Then we need this toolbox of things. And one of the things that we need in there is we need the motivation of the cross. See, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna complete the work, if we're gonna persevere, if we're gonna even go through difficult seasons being faithful to God, then here's the reality. We need the motivation of the cross. We need to look at the cross and that motivate us to do the work of the kingdom. See, Jesus did this. Jesus was motivated to go to the cross. Um, Hebrews 12, two says this. It says that he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What joy was in the cross? There was no joy in the cross. It was separation from God for him as he was separated from his heavenly father for the first time ever. Um, it wasn't joy for him. What was joy for him was what came on the other side, which is me and you. That was his glory. It's the redemption of mankind. And so he went through the cross to do that. But we need to understand that that ought to be motivation for us. If Jesus did that for me, how could I not do that and more for him? If he bridged this gap between myself and himself, giving his life for me, bridging a gap that I couldn't bridge. How could that not be motivation for me to live for him? And so we need this, we need this motivation. The cross is our motivation. The second thing we have to have is voluntary service. So we, we have to, this is not something that God's gonna smack us upside the head and say, you gotta do this. No, it's something that we decide. It's something that we make a choice. And we say, I'm gonna serve him. 
I'm going to serve him. I'm going to lay down my life for him. See, we can say that our sin put Jesus on the cross. And in some ways that's true, but in a big way, it's not. No one put Jesus on the cross, but Jesus. He willingly laid down his life. He willingly died for you and I. He willingly gave it all up for us so that we could have life, but nobody forced him to the cross. He could have just as easily walked away. And yet he knew that his purpose from God was to do that. And that's another thing that we've got to have is steady obedience. Jesus was faithful throughout his entire ministry. We see that in his life and we reap the benefit of that, of his obedience. The Bible says that he was obedient even unto death, even death on the cross because he was seen as cursed and shamed. And yet what was cursed and shamed in the eyes of man became glory to God. And so what we need to see and what we need to understand is that we need to be motivated by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We need to volunteer ourselves to him, laying down our lives for him. And we need to become obedient people who are steady, obedient. It's easy to come out of the gates fast. I remember in um, high school, middle school, um, one of our coaches had some crazy idea that I was a track person, right? Some, that I was, I was destined to run track. And the reality of it was like, I was really slow, right? I guarantee you, it took me more steps to get around the track than anybody else out there. And, but he wanted me to run the four, 440, or back then, now it's the 400. And I remember I was always in first place when I came around the first turn. The only problem was there was another couple of turns you had to go around. And by that time, I felt like I had a piano on my back and I'm trying to run just as fast as I can run, but I just can't go anywhere. And so I'd start out really strong, but I'd finish really poorly. And the thing that we have to see is that God's not calling us just to be sprinters out of the gate. He's calling us to steady obedience for the rest of our lives and for eternity. And that's what we need to pray for. We need to pray for that. The last thing, and this kind of encompasses all of them and puts them all um, sort of in the toolbox, is that we need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray that the Spirit of God moves in us. See, we can't do this apart from Him. You can be motivated, you can volunteer, you can do all these things, but apart from the power of the Spirit, there's no way we live this life because it's what God does in us that then begins to be worked out of us. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work in your salvation. Why? Because salvation is a gift of God that's put inside of us. And from that moment on, it begins to be worked out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God does. He begins to work that out so that what other people see is a difference. What other people see is something that glorifies God. And it's something that's real and authentic, not something that we just put on at certain times of the week or certain times of the year or, or at certain people we come in contact with, depending on the group we're in. It's something that's authentic and real and that people see. So as we think about this one, we think about completing the work, there's motivation. We've got to lay down our lives. We need to be steadily obedient. And we need to come to a place where we recognize that without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can't get this done. The last one, and it really takes in all the verses. Verse five says, and now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And and when we look at this whole section, um, verses one through five, this is really a prayer of what we would call consecration. It's a prayer of consecration, which basically means setting apart. It means, it means to um, set apart for a specific work. What Jesus is doing in this prayer is he's saying, I'm setting myself apart. And the very last thing that we need to pray is that we need to be praying that every day of our life would be set apart to the glory of God. That every day of our life would be set apart to the glory of God. That, listen, that is our purpose. The two biggest questions people ask in life, who am I and why am I here? They're both answered in Christ. That we're here, we are his, we're his children, first and foremost, and that we're here to bring him glory so that other people would know his name, that people would, 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 would see him even through us and through the actions of our life. And so I want you to grab hold of that. Jesus completely understood his purpose. And see, when you take all of these things, when you look at the fact that Jesus um, willingly laid down his life and went to the cross, you look at the fact that Jesus uh, gave us a gift of eternal life. You look at the fact that Jesus acknowledges the completion of the work he was given to do. And you look at the fact that Jesus Jesus prayed and continually set his life apart. See, we reap the benefits of those things. 
We reap the benefits of the cross. We reap the benefits of his voluntary service. We reap the benefits of his steady obedience. We reap the benefits of of, um, the power of the Holy Spirit working even through Jesus's life. And, And here's the thing I would tell you guys today is that other people should reap the benefit of eternal life through those things working out of us. So he calls us to that. That's what he calls us to do and to be about. And that's what our prayer should, should be um, this week as we're looking at this. That's, that's what our prayer should be. And as we're in a series called Together where we talk about praying together, we'll do something a little different. It's gonna be a little awkward for, for some, um, but it's gonna be okay. Um, we did it at nine o'clock, nobody died. It was cool. Um, but what I wanna do is I wanna take about two to three minutes is all two to three minutes. And I'm going to ask you, um, if you're comfortable with this, I'm going to ask you to get with two, three, four, five, maybe um, five or six people. And I want you to pray. We're going to put some things up on the screens that you can pray. And, and we're going to ask you to get with some folks and, and, and just, uh, you know, you don't have to sing, join hands and sing Kumbaya. You can just pray together, right? Um, just get together and pray. If you're uncomfortable with that, listen, it's cool if you stay in your seat and you just pray where you are and pray for these things. I understand that. When I was, started going to church, before, you know, I, I probably would have been the one sitting in my seat and, and praying uh, by myself. But listen, if you're, if you're comfortable, we feel this is this important that we begin to pray together, that we wanna take some time out of the service to do that. So if you will, get into groups of about three to five people and then you guys can spend some time praying for the things that they're about to put up on the screen. Ready, break. seats and uh, appreciate you doing that I know for a lot of you that's an awkward time but appreciate you guys participating in that um, nobody I don't think if, if, if you didn't make it through that raise your hand 
Okay, I don't see any hands, so we must be good. The last thing that I want to talk to you about is actually how Jesus began this prayer. And it's a huge aspect of prayer that we can't miss. You know, as we come to him and pray these things, these things are important. These things are are good and uh, we need to model Christ. But there's something that he begins this prayer with and it's actually the word Father. And he he talks about this as, uh, talks about God in a very unique way. Up until this time, no Jewish person or any person really on the face of the earth had referred to God in this manner. Because it wasn't just like, holy art thou, you know, Father. Uh, The Greek word for this is pater. And that word um, in Aramaic would be translated Abba. And some of you have heard about this word Abba. Some of you probably haven't. But Abba was the word that a young Jewish boy or a young Jewish girl would call their daddy. And so Jesus draws his confidence and his strength from his daddy. He understands that the one who's with him as he went to the cross was his daddy, that his daddy was gonna take care of him. How did Jesus do these things? How could he have, have, have gone to the cross? How could he have, have been separated for the first time from his heavenly father because he knew his daddy was in control? And my prayer today as we talk about prayer is that we would understand God this way, that we would understand our heavenly father as our heavenly daddy, someone that we can come to, someone that we can talk to, someone that we can um, have a conversation with, someone that wants to speak into our lives, someone who guards our lives, someone who loves us. And so here's the thing that I want you to see that this word Abba, this word Pater, first it tells us how we come to God. We come to him as a loving father, as a daddy. Second, it tells us how we communicate with him in a real intimate way, as he is a real intimate God, a personal God. And so we're able to come to him in that way. The third thing that I want you to see is that he shows us what a perfect father is. See, every person in here today has daddy issues, including my own children. Nobody has a perfect father. My children don't have a perfect father. As hard as we may try, we're not perfect. And for some of us, our image of a daddy is not so great. But today, I want you to understand that you have a daddy in heaven who loves you. You don't have to strive and strain and push and press to be something, to please people. You have a God in heaven who's given you the perfection of Christ. That's all you need. That's all you need. Your daddy on earth, he may have abandoned you. Guess what? This daddy never will. Your daddy on earth may have abused you. Guess what? This one never will. Your daddy on earth may never told you you'd amount to anything. Guess what? This one's given you a perfect purpose and a perfect plan for your life. Your daddy on earth may have never made you feel secure. But what I can tell you is when you trust in this one, you find a security that surpasses everything else. You may have never felt very significant, but I'll tell you this, when you come into the arms of a loving father, you find a significance that's greater than anything else you've ever experienced because you matter to him. You matter to him. So now that I made an idiot of myself, I wanna ask you this question. In your life, have you settled for this? 
this cardboard cutout. Have you just been living with a cardboard Jesus? Or have you come to a place where you've actually met the real thing? My question today is this, if you haven't, do you want to? So I believe that for some that Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking, he's knocking on your heart. You know, he's calling you today. Then the question becomes, are you gonna open the door? Are you gonna say yes to him? Are you gonna invite him in? Are you gonna enter into this relationship, this relationship of communication and doing life together? Are you gonna come to that moment of salvation? say yes to it. I want to give you that opportunity today. If you don't know him, but you want to, you couldn't say I've experienced him, but I definitely want to have a relationship with him. I'm tired of settling for an imitation. And today you would say, yeah, I want that. I want a relationship with him. I want to receive that. I want to accept his invitation. What I want you to do is just right now, right where we are, would you just stick your hand way up in the air where we can see it and we can celebrate with you? Amen. We're gonna have someone pray with uh, pray with you if that's me. Okay, cool. Awesome. All right. Who else? You know that today's the day and you say yes to Christ. All right. Well, as we close the service, I want us to pray together one more time. And I'm going to pray just that God would use us in a mighty way and that we complete the work that he's given us to do. So if you will, as you pray with me and we'll be done. God, thank you for your purpose in our lives. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you that we can come to you as a daddy. Father, thank you that you have given us a great purpose. God, let us complete that purpose as a church. God, let us run after you, yeah, as individuals, but together, arm in arm, to fulfill the purpose you've given us, Lord. Jesus, would you just use us in that way? Let our lives be lives that bring you glory. Father, let us realize that we don't have to stand up in front of people and talk to be used by you, but we're used wherever we are. God, just do a great work in us so you can do a great work through us and give us the courage to not have to take 10 steps, but to take our next step, Lord, whatever that might be. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We trust our lives to you. Daddy, we trust you. Would you take us and make us useful for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.